Good morning. So as Timothy said, uh, my name is Matt, and I'm the REF campus minister at Duke. Uh, about a year ago, my wife Bethany and I and our two kids moved to Durham from Boston to uh, take over for RUF at Duke. And it's a privilege to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, you may not know this, or you may know, but Christ Central is a tremendous partner with what we do uh, in RUF at Duke. And so I'm grateful for you guys. Uh, it's fun to be up here. Uh, Timothy and Daniel have been a tremendous encouragement to us. So uh, it's, just, it's just fun to be with you guys this morning. We will be in Exodus chapter 3. We'll read the first 15 verses. You've noticed if we're in Exodus 3, it means we're starting a little bit in the middle of the story. Uh, This passage will likely be familiar to a lot of you, uh, but we'll talk about the context of it a little bit as we go along. Uh, But just to sort of give you a brief little uh, setting of the table, God's people, the people of Israel, are in the land of Egypt, and it went well there for a while until the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, enslaved them. And the first couple chapters tell us that they're in trouble and they're crying out. And we arrive here in chapter 3, and we see that God is about to do something about it. So with that in mind, would you stand? It's the practice here to stand for the reading of God's word. I will read Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called, him, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send to you Pharaoh, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but it is the word of the Lord that remains forever. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just pray this morning that you would meet us and that you would speak through your spirit, that we would hear directly from you uh, and that our hearts and lives would be changed in the hearing of it. We thank you and praise you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So when my son Vance was a little bit younger than he is now, he had this really great habit that I loved. Before he would go into a place that was a little bit scary or daunting for him in some way, if I was there, he would look behind him and he would say, Daddy, are you coming? And if I was coming, it would give him the confidence. So before entering into a dark room, he was a little bit afraid of the dark. Daddy, are you coming? I remember one time we were at the Museum of Life and Science in Durham. I'm sure many of you have been there before. But one of the obstacles they have there, or highlights, or attractions, is this uh, huge treehouse. And if I'm honest, for me as an adult, it's terrifying to climb this treehouse, let alone for my three-year-old son. It has all these rope ladders and things that are difficult to get to the top. And really, when we were there, it was impossible for him to climb. He couldn't do it on his own. But there he was, standing at the edge of this rope ladder, about to enter into this obstacle that was too big for him. And if he looked behind him and said, Daddy, are you coming? If I was with him, then it gave him the confidence to step out and go even in the midst of a difficult, in fact, impossible task for him. I wonder what impossible tasks you might feel you're facing this morning. Maybe you're going through difficult obstacles presently. Maybe you anticipate they will come in the future. What challenges are you facing? In this interaction with Moses, we see God present him with a difficult call. In fact, for him, an impossible call. And in the midst of all this, Moses is confronted. He's confronted with his own shortcomings, his own inabilities, his own insecurities in the face of this call. But what God is doing for Moses and what he does for us through him is teach an important lesson. And here's the lesson. It's not about us. It's about the God who goes with us. It's not about us, our gifts, our abilities, what we can do. It's the God who promises to go with us. And that's how we're going to organize the time this morning. Point one, it's not about us. Point two, it's about the God who goes with us. This is an interesting passage. Moses is shepherding a flock hundreds of miles away from Egypt. He's at the foot of a mountain, and he sees a bush. And the bush is on fire, but the bush is not consumed. Better yet, the bush begins to speak. It may be at this moment that if you're being honest, you're going, okay, this is a little bit hard to believe, right? We don't see this every day, at least I don't. I don't know about you. It may be that you're here thinking, here we go, Christians with their unscientific mythology, things that don't happen in this day and age. Or maybe you believe the Bible to be true, but you're not thinking like, oh, if I was going to talk about my faith with someone, I'm going to start with the burning bush passage, right? Sometimes we think maybe let's not lead with the stuff that's hard to believe, hard to understand, especially in this day and age. But here's what's really comforting to me. This was surprising for Moses too. He did not expect to see this. The passage says essentially, hmm, let me turn aside and see what's going on, this bush that's burning but not consumed. It was a surprising, miraculous thing for him also. What exactly is going on? We'll get there. But Moses is at the foot of this mountain. He sees this burning bush, and out of the, mountain, out of the bush comes this voice, Moses. Moses, this double name call, Moses, Moses. And this is a cue for us. It is a biblical cue that God is about to do something that is going to flip Moses' life upside down. When God calls your name twice, you better listen. There's a pattern that happens all throughout the Bible of this. One of Moses' descendants, a man named Abraham, he was about to sacrifice his son. 
The son was promised to be the line of descendants that would become this great nation, yet God commanded him to sacrifice that son, and Abraham goes to do it. He obeys God. And just as he's about to do it, knife raised in the air, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. I see now that you trust me. I see now that you love me more than my gifts. Do not sacrifice your son. That child's son, Jacob, was called by name twice. Jacob, Jacob, you can bring your family down to Egypt from Israel in the famine. I will protect them and preserve them there. In fact, this is the event that sets in motion a lot of what happens in the book of Exodus. There's a man named Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, I am setting you apart to serve me. You might remember in the New Testament, Martha, Martha, you're making yourself anxious with lots of serving. What you need to do is sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. Saul, Saul, you're not going to be a persecutor of the church. You're not going to try and stamp out this Jesus movement. I'm going to call you to be one of the most influential figures in seeing it spread throughout the world in the first century. When God calls your name twice, you better listen. It's about to flip your world upside down. That's true for Moses, too. See, Moses was in Egypt. He was raised in the court of Pharaoh, and now he's hundreds of miles away, but God is sending him back. He's saying, go back. You're going to deliver my people out of Egypt. But here's what's amazing. Moses had already tried to do this before. He saw one of the Israelites being beaten by an Egyptian. Remember, they're enslaved at this time. And what does Moses do? He kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Moses is a murderer. And that has led him to have to run away. He's now a fugitive. He's an exile. He is a screw-up. And yet God is calling his name. What this means is that Moses' failures have not disqualified him from the call of God upon his life. His past has not disqualified him. God is saying, I have a plan for you. Who do you have a tendency to disqualify? Perhaps there are people whose personalities you just can't stand. Or people of a certain social standing, people of a certain kind of gift set? Who are people that you look at and say they could never be useful? In fact, who are people that you look at who may not believe in God or are a Christian who say that person could never become a Christian? Who do you have a tendency to disqualify? What God is teaching us through Moses is that our past does not disqualify us from his call if he calls us. Maybe this morning you're disqualifying yourself. Maybe you look at yourself and say, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the gifts necessary to be used by God in any way. My personality isn't what it takes. I could never be part of the people of God. Look at what I've done, who I am. Could it be that even this morning, God is calling you by name to radically reorient your life? This is what's happening for Moses. He's confronted at the burning bush. Moses, a screw-up, a failure, a murderer, a fugitive who is being sent back, being sent back to the place of his failure to stand before the mightiest king perhaps in all of the world at that time to deliver his people, God's people, who have been enslaved for hundreds of years as a screw-up and a failure in front of this king. Big task. Impossible task for Moses in his own strength, right? He doesn't have what it takes. But here's the truth. For all of us, God has called us to an impossible task as well. 
If you are a Christian, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, what you're saying is God has called you by name and set you in a radical reorientation of your life, not to live for yourself and your own glory, but for him and for the good of others. The impossible task that he has set each of us on is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who here could say that they love God with all their heart? Sure, we love God, but we also love other things too, right? We love comfort. We love money. We love reputation. We love success. And sometimes those things don't line up together. If God calls you to something that's uncomfortable and you love comfort and you choose comfort over what God calls you to, you're saying that I love my comfort more than God in this moment. That hits me right in the heart because I love comfort a lot. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm struck how easy it is for me to think the best of my own motivations, the best of my own intentions, and the absolute worst of other people. That's if I think of other people at all, right? We're all wired, I think, when we walk into a place to think, how do I fit in this space? How is it for me? But the call is that we're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. If we believe that our only hope rests through faith in Jesus, our only hope rests in his rescue, and we look out at the world and we are not sharing that with others, can we really say that we love them? Can we really say that we have given our hearts to love them as ourselves? If we're to love neighbor as self, this means we are called to go out into this world with the hope of what we believe so that others might believe it too. But let's be honest, right? It's hard to go out into a world in this day and age that at best is indifferent to Christianity, at worst outright hostile, and talk to people about a God who speaks out of a bush, right? Or to say your hope for all of life rests in a man who was executed 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem, and get this, he rose from the dead. But this is the message that we are called to proclaim. And if we're honest, a lot of times we think it's just easier to put our heads down. Maybe we'll be good people, maybe we'll be nice to people, but when it comes to actually talking about what we believe, maybe it's just easier not to talk about this kind of stuff sometimes, right? Maybe you feel like you don't have what it takes, you don't have the words, you don't have the training, you don't have the skills or the personality to be used by God in this way. And you might be tempted to ask the same question that we see Moses ask God. You see, Moses is confronted with this call, and what he says is who am I that I should go? He looks at his own screw-up and failure and says, who am I that I should go? It's a great question, I think. But God's response is even better. Because you see, God doesn't say to Moses, oh man, you got this. You'll be fine. You just got to dig deep, Moses. You got to find it in yourself. Do you, you got it. You just have low self-esteem. Isn't that what we hear a lot of times, right, when we're confronted with challenges? You just got to try harder. You got to do more when sometimes we just want to cry out and say, I don't think I have what it takes. Moses is saying that, and God's response is, Moses, do not look inward at yourself. You're looking in the wrong place. Look at me. He says the reason why any of this is going to work in the first place is because I'm going with you. But I will be with you. That is God's response to Moses. It's not about us. It's about the God who goes with us. Moses doesn't have what it takes, but God does, and he is going. 
So Moses' question is understandable. Who am I that I should go? But I don't think it's the best question he could be asking. The better question is, God, not who am I, but who are you? If you promise to go with me, who are you? And the reason why God is speaking out of a bush, and the reason why we don't see this every day, I think, is because this is a powerful moment in which God is revealing himself in a fresh, new way to Moses. He is showing Moses who he is before he sends him into the battle. He wants Moses to know who goes with him before he sends him. If you're here this morning and you don't necessarily believe that God exists or don't know if he exists, I think what you're saying underneath all this, and I get it, is that ultimately it's up to you. If there's nobody greater than you, then it's up to you. And sometimes if we think deep down in the places of our lives, the difficulty and suffering we face, don't we just want somebody to be with us in it? That's what God is saying to Moses, I will be with you. I want you to know who I am. Who is this God that goes with us? This passage shows us a lot. Look at verse 7. First we see that the God who goes with us is a God who cares. He says he has seen the afflictions of his people. He has heard their cries. He knows their suffering. He cares about what his people are facing. That means that God sees our broken relationships. He sees our strained marriages. He sees the stress and anxiety of parenting. He sees the difficulties we have at work or at school. He sees our anxiety. He sees our depression. He sees our loneliness. He sees the difficulties that we face and the insecurities that we struggle with, and he cares about them. It says that he heard their cries. It means that God listens to us when we pray to him. Do you believe that? The extent to which we believe it is often reflected in how often we do it, right? Do we really believe that God hears our cries and cares about us? The God who goes with us is a God who sees and he hears and he cares. But he doesn't just see and hear and care. He sees and hears and cares enough to enter into the struggle with us. Look at verse 8. He says, I have come down to deliver. I have come down to deliver them, to bring them out of their slavery, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, into this land that I promised to give them hundreds of years before this. He enters in. He doesn't remain on the sidelines of our lives, but wants intimately to be involved in every step of the way. It makes me think about a king. You can picture a king, right, sitting in his castle, and he looks out at his land and at his subjects, and he sees that they're attacked by an invading army. And if the king cares at all about his subjects, what is he going to do? He's going to call out the army to go and protect the people. But how much more worthy of loyalty, allegiance, trust, affection would that king be is if the people see the army marching out, they see their king out at the front of the army, marching and fighting for them. You see, God isn't just sending Moses. He's sending Moses with a promise, I am going with you. He sends each of us with a promise that anywhere I send you, I go to. I am entering into the struggle with you. This is the God who goes with us. But it doesn't matter much if he sees and hears and cares. It doesn't matter much even if he enters in, if he's not able to do anything about it, right? 
It doesn't matter much unless he can do something about it. But what God is teaching Moses is all of what's happening here has been couched in promises that I made hundreds of years before this. That what I say I will do, I will do. And so when I tell you I'm going to deliver you, you can trust that it's going to happen. I think that's what we capture in this exchange about what God's name is. It seems like kind of a right turn sort of in the conversation, right? Okay, so you send me and then well, if people ask me what your name is, what should I say your name is? But to understand what Moses is asking, we need to understand the importance of name for those people at that time. Some of you might know what your name means. A lot of you probably don't. Parents, I think oftentimes in this day and age, here's my theory for how we pick names. I want to pick something that sounds unique and cool, but won't get my kid beat up on the playground, right? Like that's kind of how we think about name. We pick it based on how it sounds and sometimes meaning, right? But not every one of us. And I'm guilty as charged of this. Our family's guilty as charged. Our, our son's name is Vance. It's a family name, and we like the way it sounds and think it's unique and cool. Do you know what Vance means? It means somebody who lives in a swamp. It essentially means a bog dweller. That's what his name means, literally. Doesn't exactly capture our hopes and dreams for our son, right? We like the way it sounds. But for the people in Moses' day and age, when you ask somebody what their name is, you're not just saying, what do we call you? Although this is important, there's lots of gods on the scene at this time. We need to know the name of the one true God. But it's not just what we call you or how it sounds. We're asking about the character underneath the name. Not just what we call you, but what are you all about? It's essentially Moses' way of saying, God, who are you? And here's God's response. Moses, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. With me, what you see is what you get. When I say I will do it, I will do it. I am unchanging, uncompromising. I keep all of my promises. That is what God is saying is in his character. And here's the reality. All of what's happening here is in the the midst of God's promises that he made. He called a man named Abraham hundreds of years before this, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. Exodus chapter 1 tells us that Abraham's descendants grow into a great nation. God keeps his promises. He also said, know for certain that your descendants will be slaves in a land that is not theirs. Exodus chapter 1 tells us that his family was enslaved by the king of Egypt. God keeps his promises. But then he said, but know this, I will come and deliver them and bring them out of that slavery into the land that I promised hundreds of years ago. And the rest of the book of Exodus is how God does exactly that. I am a God who keeps my promises is what he's saying to Moses. I am a God who never changes. And here's what's awesome about that. What this is saying is that God never changes even though we change all the time. From one moment, God could be priority number one in our lives, right? And in the next moment, he could be priority number 100 in the midst of all that we've got going on. I think the reason why Moses had to ask God what his name was in the first place is that the people of Israel forgot. In the midst of all the other gods of Egypt and just the difficulties of their lives, they forgot who God was. It makes me think about all the things that compete for our attention and affection, all the things that we sometimes find more valuable than God that make us forget who he is, or simply just the difficulties of our lives that make us forget the truth about who he is. But God is a God who never changes, and he keeps his promises to us. He is the God who goes with us. 
About 1,500 years after this, there was another exchange, another interaction that happened where a man was interacting with the religious leaders of the day. And they looked at him and said, are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? What are you all about? And Jesus' response to them was, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham walked around on this earth, I am who I am. Jesus, in this moment, taking upon himself the promise-keeping, unchanging name of God who goes with us. The clearest picture in all of Scripture of the reality of the God who goes with us is Emmanuel, God with us. That in Jesus, we have one that looked out at all of the affirmities and afflictions that we struggle with. Incidentally, that came upon us by the fact that we didn't do what we were supposed to do. They came upon us because we didn't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, didn't love neighbor as self, and that Jesus looks and sees and hears and cares about that enough to give up all the riches and glory of heaven that he had to enter into this world, to take on human flesh with all of its weaknesses, all of its affirmities, to submit himself to death for us. And he came to do something about it. What Jesus came to deal with is the biggest impossible task in all of our lives, that any of us could ever merit relationship with a holy God. You see, in this exchange with Moses at the burning bush, God says, the place that you're standing on is holy ground, and Moses, guess what? You're not holy. I am. But what Jesus has come to do is to bridge that gap between God's perfection and our brokenness, to bridge the gap between God's holiness and our rebellion, And Jesus, our king, marches out in front of us all the way to his own death on a cross. That's what he came to do. The ultimate act of doing something about it in which he takes on all of the consequences for our rebellion, all of of what we deserve in our separation from God, and gives us all the credit and glory for his obedience. This perfect moment where he listened to his father, said, I trust you all the way to my death, where he loved his neighbors enough to sacrifice his own life, and then he gives us all the credit if we have faith in him. This is the God who goes with us. The Bible says that if we have faith in Jesus that we are so connected to him, that he is so with us that we are united to him. That his obedience becomes our obedience. His right standing and right living before God become our right standing and right living before God. His rights and privileges as God's only perfect son become our rights and privileges as adopted sons and daughters of God because he goes with us. That when God looks at you, if you have faith in Jesus, he sees him. That's how with us he is. And it's not just that we're united to Jesus. He also told his followers who trusted in him that when I go away, I'm going to send to you a helper. I'm going to send to you a comforter. I'm going to send to you an advocate. I'm going to send to you my very spirit. Not to live just around us, not to live near us or close by, but to actually dwell inside of us, which means that there is no place we can go where God is not with us. There is no task that he could call us to where he is not there to empower us. If you're thinking in this world, how could I possibly share my faith in a compelling way? We have God's spirit inside of us who goes with us to give us words to say. He gives us gifts to be used for his purposes. 
As you're thinking, how do I enter into the suffering that I'm facing or the suffering of those around me? I have no idea what to say and do. You have God's Spirit who goes with you in that. If you think about a new job or a new school year or all the difficulties that you'd face in parenting or in relationships with others, God goes with you every step of the way. There is nowhere you can go that He does not go with us. I'm struck as we think about a church here in the city of Durham, a church that is after cultural renewal, a church that's after social renewal, a church that's after spiritual renewal. This is an impossible task for us. But we have God who goes with us, and it's not impossible for him. He has given us his spirit to empower us, and there's nowhere we can go that he doesn't go with us. He is the God who sees and hears and cares enough to enter into the places of our lives and he has the power and ability to do something about it. That's what he reminds Moses, and that's what he reminds us, too. I'm struck as a young parent how often I've learned a ton about what it means to be a follower of God through my kids. God says we're to have childlike faith, but I look at my three-year-old who looks out at the dark and scary and uncertain places of his life, and if he looks behind him and says, Daddy, are you coming? If the answer to that question is yes, then he has the confidence to step out into those places. And so I think the invitation to us is to look at those places in our own lives, those tasks that we feel called to that we feel unable to do in our own strength, and to look all around us and to ask our Heavenly Father, Daddy, are you coming? And because of Jesus, the answer to that question is always yes. If you have entrusted yourself to him, the answer is always yes. And so now we can step out in faith knowing that our heavenly father is with us every step of the way. This week, I invite you to ask, Daddy, are you coming? And to soak in the truth that he keeps his promises and he goes with us every step of the way. Would you pray with me? Father, I believe this, and I'm going to walk out these doors, and I'm going to forget it, and I'm going to think it's up to me and my own strength and abilities. Lord, would you just remind us through your word, through your promises, through your spirit that this is true, that you are the God who goes with us. Would you send us into these places where we don't have what it takes, and would you remind us that you are there doing the work in and through us? Help us to follow you, Lord, every step of the way. We thank you that you are with us. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.